Now, these men and I uh, were from all different places in life, in different cities even, in different countries. Uh, most, actually all, except for me, are in the U.S. Uh, not all of us are pastors. Uh, only a few of us are. And we're just a wide variety of backgrounds. But once a month, even in our differences, we get together and we meet on over Zoom for two hours. Our commonality is that we all try to follow Jesus in our life, and we all at some point went through this Arrow Leadership Program, and it's that what's brought us together that once a month for over a year and a half, we've been doing this. And I have to say that even though I only knew two of them in real life, in person before it, they became 10 of the closest people I have in my life. So much so that we have all been in different places where we could confess things that we may have never shared with anyone else before. We could celebrate things with each other that maybe we weren't comfortable celebrating with others. And it's been a great opportunity to grow and bring stability in a life that was somewhat unstable with COVID and everything going on. Every month as we get together, Taylor, who is the leader, you could say, of this group, uh, who works for this organization called Arrow, He initiates the conversation, usually with some kind of icebreaker. And usually the icebreaker, uh, if you've been part of small groups before, you're familiar with them. It's kind of questions to get the dialogue going. And he has a favorite that he likes to use. And his favorite one that he seems to use more often than ever is if you could pick one word, just one word, to describe your last month, what would it be? And I have to tell you, I hate that question. I hate it because it puts me on the spot and I've got to be like thinking about it and I like to have my time to think about things. And I hate it because I want to like, you know, say something good. I want to be like accurate. I want to be articulate. I want to say something that makes sense. And so as we've been doing this for over a year and a bit, I figured that this question was going to be coming on that Friday in October when we met. And so as we had our dialogue, we started our conversation. I was about halfway through in the group to be asked this. They said, okay, Rob, what is one word that would describe October for you? And, whoa, sorry, what's that? Um, As he asked that question, I knew what I was going to answer. I knew it because I had prepared myself to be asked this question. And so as he came to me, I said, my word is languishing. That's not on the screen. There it is. Now it is. There's some confusion going on here. It's languishing. Languishing. Now, I have to be completely honest with you. It was not a word I was overly familiar with. I just thought it sounded kind of smart. I was like, hey, I'm going to use a good word. I'm going to use languishing. And partially it's because I had just read an article just the week before from the New York Times that talks about how languishing is the dominant emotion that many of us are feeling at this time. And so I thought this would be the word that described me, not just because New York Times says it, but because it actually was what I was feeling. And in this word, in this article that comes out of New York Times from Adam Grant, he says this, languishing is a sense of stagnation and emptiness. It feels as if you're muddling through your days, looking at your life through a foggy windshield. Languishing is this feeling that you're not getting anywhere, even if you're trying. 
The article describes it that languishing is like the middle child of mental health that gets ignored, that people don't really talk about it, but it's what many people are experiencing. This feeling, it's not that you're depressed, that you're without hope, but that you can't seem to get forward. And so that word for me was significant because that was what I was feeling. I was feeling like I can't really seem to make progress, even though I want to make progress. I can't really seem to get beyond where I am in a variety of things, even though I want to. I'm just tired, languishing. But I don't think that's the way I'm supposed to feel. I don't think that's the way that any of us are supposed to feel. That's not to discredit you or myself if we've felt this or feel this. It's a very real feeling. But there should be more for us. There should be flourishing. There should be life, vitality. We shouldn't feel stuck, even though we do at times. There's a story that Jesus tells, there's actually two stories that Jesus tells, that get coupled together, though they are not as united as sometimes we think they are, in which he shows us that this languishing, that this stuckness that we sometimes feel is not what he really desires for us, and that he desires so very much more for us. In John's Gospel, John chapter 10, Jesus is telling a story to particularly the Pharisees. What had just happened just before, if you're familiar with Scripture, you might know this story, but he had healed someone who was born blind. And as he healed someone who was blind, there was a lot of criticism that was coming his way. And a lot of critique that he was getting were saying things like, well, he must be evil if he can do these great things, which really, if we put our brain to it, that doesn't make much sense. But that was the argument that was going around. And as he's facing this criticism, he starts to tell stories. Jesus has this amazing way of doing that. And it's something I deeply admire about the person of Jesus in Scripture. That when he faces challenge or criticism, he's able to articulate and tell a story that kind of puts us in a place where we go, well, maybe we need to rethink what we were thinking. In John chapter 10, he tells a story that some of us might be familiar with. And he says this is very truly... I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. Some of us are familiar with the story, and we might have pictures in our mind that come up when we think about this story. I know when I think about this story, I have this picture in my head of kind of like this low-level sheep gate around like a pasture somewhere. And so I have this picture in my head, it's like this kind of, you know, there's a couple of lines of wood on there, it's pretty simple, nothing fancy, it would be very easy to hop over if I wanted to. And so I got this picture in my head of this is what's going on. And Jesus is saying that anyone who does not enter by this gate that's there and climbs in another way is a thief and a robber. Contextually though, that's not the picture that should be coming into my head. Contextually, Jesus is speaking in a very specific time and place, and they would have a very different picture in mind when the words get used. In fact, in our NIV translation, which is a translation I prefer most of the time, the words for gate are mistranslated in many ways. It actually should be door or doorway. 
And the idea of the fence is very different that will come up than what we sometimes think of this low-lying fence. It's actually a six-and-a-half-foot fence wall around an enclosure that they would be speaking of. Jesus was speaking into a village community idea where there would be multiple households with sheep, and they would often have their own little fence pens, and that when there came a time, there would be one shepherd for that little housing community who would take all of the sheep out into an enclosure that would be protected. And the shepherd would be responsible for each household's sheep, and it would be a very secure and safe space. I've always pictured it very differently. But as I was reading a commentary by uh, Colin Crust, he was saying that this is a very different picture than what I had. This was a deeply protected area. And so when Jesus talks about a person not going through the doorway, they're climbing a six-foot fence to get in. If you're climbing a six-foot fence, usually you're up to no good. Just keep that in mind. It says, The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. This picture, as I was reading it this week, Uh, thinking about this morning, really struck me this idea of the shepherd leading the sheep. I am not a farmer. I don't know if you know that. I have never owned sheep or cattle or anything. But the picture of leading sheep as a shepherd is very different than a rancher getting cattle to go somewhere. When you maybe you've seen westerns, maybe you've watched TV shows where there's... uh, cattle ranchers, and usually what they're doing is they're coming behind and forcing cattle to move in a direction. Sometimes they're prodding them, sometimes they're whipping them, sometimes they're using different means to kind of force them into this area. The image that Jesus is using of a shepherd leading is very different. He's just walking ahead, and the sheep know him and trust him, so they follow. It's a very different picture than someone trying to ranch everyone together and move them somewhere. It says, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they will not recognize a stranger's voice. It says, Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. And then he says this, if I can get this to work. Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are, can you skip, thank you, are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. Now you can go to the next one. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved, though they will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal 
and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it in the full or to the full. Jesus says that he has come so that the sheep can have a full good life. That he is not only the shepherd who leads the sheep, but the gateway to the sheep. And anyone who goes to take the sheep other than through the gateway, through Jesus, is not leading them to life. Is in fact leading them to death, to kill and destroy. And so Jesus is telling this story to the religious leaders in that place. The religious leaders who had just accused him of being evil himself. They had just accused him of what he was doing was not of God, and that what he was doing was wrong and evil, even though he was healing people. And he tells this story that they don't understand, and this picture that they should understand, that there is a shepherd who is caring for sheep, and that as the shepherd is caring for sheep, the sheep will find life. And in the midst of that, Jesus is trying to interact with them and help them understand that he has come to give them life in all of its fullness. What he hasn't done, and what the text doesn't say, doesn't say, you've come, I have come so you can languish, and languish as good as you can languish ever. It says something very, very different. So Jesus has presented himself as a way of life for people. If you are anything like me, there are moments in your life where this idea of life in all of its fullness seems beyond your grasp. It seems like no matter what you're doing, you're not really getting there. You're tired. You're hurting. You're lonely. The situations in your life, whether it's work or relationships or family, just aren't going the way you would hope or expect them to. And that as they are not going that way, you feel stuck. So it's like you're looking through a muddy windshield at life and not getting anywhere. That's not what Jesus came for. It's not what we're meant to be experiencing, even though we do at times. Jesus gives a presentation of, to these Pharisees, to these leaders who are not giving that life to the people, who are not giving them freedom, who are not uh, allowing them the opportunities to move forward, but yet are repressing and oppressing them through their desire to do good, that, which the Pharisees have, but it's misguided. And Jesus says he's not going to be like a rancher who tries to whip you into shape and get you somewhere like the Pharisees are. But he's a shepherd, and if you know his voice, he's walking ahead of you. So as we move from a place of maybe a muddied windshield where it feels like we're not getting forward, where things are foggy, into a life of flourishing and of fullness, Jesus is presenting us with an opportunity to do so. And as he's presenting this opportunity, he's giving us an idea of what to do to get there. And so the text is going to continue. Unfortunately, my remote's not working, so I'm going to need you to use up the text up there. Okay, Julian? He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. 
The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus is creating this imagery and he's contrasting himself with the religious leaders. He's saying the religious leaders, they're hired hands. Yes, they should be caring for the sheep. Yes, they should be doing it. But when push comes to shove, if it gets tough, they're not really there to give you life. They're not really going to help you. The Pharisees, he's saying, are just there, but they're not the shepherd. They're the hired hands. He is the shepherd. And if the Pharisees and the religious leaders, and we can say this even today, if religious leaders, pastors, are not inviting people to follow the good shepherd, Jesus, they are not inviting people to life. They're leading them somewhere else. And so Jesus continues and he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. So Jesus is speaking to the people, particularly the religious leaders and the crowd that seems to be following him. He says that he is that good shepherd. He is the one to lead to life. And it is something that he is called into, not because you know, he's a great charismatic leader, but because he is God. That he is the God who takes on flesh and walks the earth, and in his interactions of being human and divine, leads us and dies for us. And that through him we can find this life that is full, that is flourishing, that we are meant to experience. And so as Jesus is speaking that to this crowd, he's inviting them to understand the significance of what he's doing. He's inviting them to, and he's foreshadowing it, of what he is going to do on the cross. That they are not aware of, that they're not sure of, but he is telling them this is what will happen. And that as he's doing that, I am just finally got this to work, so just one second. I have notes. I never have notes, and uh, one day I choose to have notes. (laughs) Did not go as planned. That's okay. He's inviting them. He's saying, well, do you want to experience this life in all of its fullness? And it's a question that I think we should ask ourselves as well. Do we desire to experience the fullness of life that Jesus says he came to offer? There's a story in the gospel accounts where uh, Jesus encounters someone who's been sitting lame. He's, he's unable to move. And he asks them, do you want to be well? And that story's always stuck out to me because I think it's a question we don't ask ourselves enough. Do you actually want something different than what you have? Or are you so comfortable seeing through a muddied windshield that you're afraid of what you'll see once you clear it? Jesus offers us an opportunity to move forward, to be different, to be 
living. And he is the secret to enter into this fullness of life. But it's not just this concept or this idea of Jesus who we worship. Absolutely, it is the Jesus who we worship. But it's also uh, the Jesus that we submit to as king. And the Jesus that we imitate as teacher. And the Jesus who ultimately we proclaim as Savior. We often get into an idea of who Jesus is and don't see the fullness of him. And it's in the fullness of him that we can find the fullness of life. That yes, Jesus is to be worshipped. He is God. He is, he is to be worshipped. And as we sing, that's part of worship. But so much more of worship is what you do when you're done singing and how you live your life because of who he is. And he is the one we are to submit to as king, as an understanding that his ways are better than my ways, and that his ways are not necessarily the same as my ways at all most of the time. And that as well, can you bring that slide back up, please? We are to imitate him as a teacher. One of the common terms that gets used for Jesus in the Gospels is it's called a rabbi. He's a teacher. And what you're supposed to do with a rabbi is you are supposed to follow that rabbi and imitate that rabbi in life and grow from there. A lot of us are very comfortable with the idea of worshiping Jesus, but we might struggle when it comes to imitating Jesus. Because imitating Jesus means loving your enemies. Imitating Jesus means not getting your way. Imitating Jesus means everything countercultural that you can imagine. And it's that same Jesus we are to proclaim to speak of, that we worship, submit to, and imitate. Jesus is the way to a fullness of life. And in his invitation to us, his invitation to experience this fullness of life, we can do it only through him. Here at Bromley, we've had this mission statement that we're here to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ one step at a time. But we're here to lead each other in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ one step at a time. It's not something that one person does, but we collectively do together. Why? Because the Jesus that we are to worship, the Jesus that we are to imitate, the worship, the one we're submitting to, the one we are proclaiming is the one who gives us life. And we need to be growing in that, walking in that, not sitting, languishing, wishing it was different. There are probably moments in your own journey with God where you've thought, wow, I wish I was further along the path than I am now. Or I wish I was feeling different than I am now. And these are very real and honest and normal emotions to be experiencing. But we're meant to be growing. We're meant to be disciples, followers of him. And that as we are disciples, we are meant to keep encouraging each other to do so. But the question becomes, as Jesus has offered us life in all of its fullness, do you want that? Do you want something different than maybe you're experiencing right now? Maybe you are experiencing what would be called life in all of its fullness, but for most people I talk to, that's not the case. Most of us feel stuck in some way, in some part of our life. Do you want 
more than that. And if you do, what are you willing to do to get there? The only way to get there is through and in Jesus. The Jesus we worship, submit to, imitate, and proclaim. Do you want that? Do we want that? If you can move from languishing to flourishing, is that what you want? If it is, I want to invite you to pray with me. I'm going to have some words on the screen. There's a prayer. And maybe you're not sure what you want to pray. Maybe you're not sure if you are ready to take that step to see through a windshield clearly. That maybe you're really comfortable being stuck. Because being stuck can be very comfortable. But if you want more, you can have it. And I invite you to pray with me as we close the service. So please, if you're home, it'll be on the screen. If you're here, it's right here. Let's pray. Creator God, you have come to this earth in the person of Jesus so that we may have life in all its fullness. We confess at times we do not experience this fullness we long for. We need your help, Holy Spirit, to experience this life of fullness you want for us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you prompt us to confess where we need to confess, to bring healing where we need to bring healing, and to speak out where we need to speak out. And that together, we can enter the doorway that is Christ and enter into a life, the life of fullness that you invite us into. Encourage and enable us to work together to inspire and challenge each other to flourish and become who you have made and called us to be as imitators of you, Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. I pray this for you. I pray this for us. And as you go this week, I pray that you imitate the Christ who loves you, who died for you, and is your good shepherd. God bless you. I hope you have a great week.